Today, though, we're continuing on our series in the Gospel of Mark, a series that has been called Remarkable. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 8 here. And if you have your Bibles or have an app that you can turn to, look at Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 22 to 30 today. And we're going to look at the first section because there is a remarkable story of another healing that takes place. And we're going to use the power of Jesus' touch that brings restoration would be kind of the title of what we're looking at here. So let's look at Mark chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 22 to 26 to start us off. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Let's pray. God, as we unpack this passage of scripture, another remarkable event of your intervention in a person's life. God, we think of ourselves and where we fit into this story and where we will need a touch from you, would you open our hearts to be willing to receive that touch today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part of that, verse 22, says they came to Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is a little village, fishing village, in um, a Jewish-occupied area. Bethsaida actually means house of the fisher. And um, Peter, Andrew, and Philip Three of Jesus' disciples were from this little town, and so there was some engagement of Jesus in this community, and three of his disciples were following him from here. And um, Bethsaida, though being a Jewish community, was very resistant to the message of Jesus and what he was bringing. They were unwelcoming, they were unbelieving, and they were unrepentant. In Matthew eleven twenty one, 21, um, it says this, and Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, which is the town that we're referring to today. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And so Jesus was not impressed or encouraged by the response of the people of this town. And yet in this harsh setting, here is Jesus, and we can learn from this when he's in this setting about the power of his touch. And continue on in verse 22, it says, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. They brought a blind man to him, and it's interesting that they begged Jesus to touch him. First of all, there was others that were advocating for this blind man, and maybe that was simply because he could not get to Jesus on his own because he was blind. And maybe it was because these others saw the potential and they knew that what this man needed more than anything else was a touch from Jesus. It's also interesting that when they brought him to Jesus, they weren't begging Jesus to heal him, they were begging Jesus to touch him. And we can learn from that this morning What we really, really need is not that our circumstances change or not that we get the healing we want, but that we get the touch 
from Jesus, because Jesus knows what we need most. And here they were bringing this man to Jesus, begging Jesus to touch him. They recognized there is power in Jesus' touch. Many, but not all, but many of Jesus' miracles have recorded in there a physical contact, a touch from Jesus for the miracle to take place, including healing of some lepers who were the untouchables of the society. It was not socially acceptable to physically touch a leper, and yet Jesus did. And so there's something about the power of his touch. And as we look at that today, I want you to keep in mind that he is willing to touch you and to touch me where we need to experience that touch this morning. Where do you need to receive his touch? And kind of keep your mind open as we look at this. And as we go through this passage, we'll see that when they came to Jesus, begging Jesus to touch this man, that as Mark describes the story, there were three specific touch points. And you will probably see yourself in one of these areas. Touch point number one is in verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Why would Jesus lead him outside the village, especially if he was blind? I mean, this would have been an awkward uh, path to follow. You know, Jesus took him by the hand and leading him outside the the village. Um, Some scholars believe that the reason Jesus led him out of the city was to remove him from the pervasive culture of doubt, of unrepentance, so that the man's faith would have room to grow. And as he was going out out of the town, he'd be more free to respond to Jesus on his own terms. It's hard to say what was going on inside of this man's mind when Jesus came to him after they brought him to Jesus and they begged Jesus to touch him, that Jesus took him by the hand. It's hard to read into what he would have been thinking or feeling in those moments. Although the text is silent about this, one thing we know was that the man was willing to follow. He was willing to allow Jesus to lead him, probably with some confusion as to where are we going, why are we doing this, but he was still willing And one of the first things we want you to realize here is um, when Jesus wants to take us by the hand, he'll only do it if we're willing. He will never drag us unwillingly to where he wants us to be, where he can touch us and do the deeper work of restoration in our lives. As Jesus took this man by the hand, I think immediately this man felt something is about to happen. With all the confusion and uncertainty of what was going on in his world, I suspect or strongly believe that there is a deep sense of expectation. Something is about to happen. And he immediately probably began to feel that sense of safety, that this is right, this is good, all is well within me, even though I'm still completely blind. Something is about to happen that's good. And as a Jewish man, he probably understood some of the scriptures that talked about the power of being held safely in God's hands or under the experience of God's touch. And he would have had this awareness that Jesus here is more than just a good person or a moral living being. Jesus is something bigger than that. Jesus is Lord. And we're going to look at that in a few minutes with the second section. But as a Jewish person, he's probably aware of what Isaiah 41 said. where Isaiah 41 verses 10 to 13 says, Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't tremble with fear, I am your God. I will make you strong as I protect you with my arm and give you victories. 
Everyone who hates you will be terribly disgraced. Those who attack will vanish into thin air. You will look around for those brutal enemies, but you won't find them. They will be gone. I am the Lord your God. I am holding your hand, so don't be afraid. I am here to help you. I want to reinforce and read the verse 13 again of Isaiah 41. I am the Lord your God. I am holding your hand, so don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Sometimes when we're walking through this darkness, and if you can picture this blind man, of Jesus taking him by the hand and leading him through the town to outside of this village, and in the darkness, he is willing to put his hand in Jesus' hand and to go where Jesus is leading him to go. I am holding your hand, so don't be afraid. The first touch point we need to understand is even when the world seems dark around us, if we're willing to put our hand in his hand, that's the first step to restoration. It's the first step to moving forward. When you look back on your own life, do you have a story that illustrates that point? Do you have a story that illustrates that there was a place of confusion and lack of clarity or doubt, but somewhere in that story, you put your hand in his hand, and even though you didn't understand the outcome, you allowed him to lead you through that, and looking back, you can see his hand at work. Probably most of us here have a story like that. I have a story that involves an open-heart surgery that I went through here last September. I'd had a leaky heart valve for many years and was diagnosed with that several years ago and had been seeing a cardiologist on a regular basis as they were monitoring that. And for many years, it was just in that category of being moderate or mild, and we were just managing it well. Um, but this past spring, it went from that mild, manageable state to being severe, which meant other things. On July 28th, I was in Edmonton to see my cardiologist after recognizing that things were shifting. And he confirmed that the severity of the leak and needed open heart surgery as soon as possible. And I left that office that day without, without a surgery date, but with a lot of things looming over me, knowing that this was coming up and what it would be like and the impending recovery and fears and doubts of what if, honestly, what if I don't make it to the surgery date? What if it gives out? And driving home with all of that stuff going through my head, listening to some music and a song came on. <clears throat> and for me, like I love the worship time. I love just listening to music and that's my go-to. And so the music was on and the song came on and God spoke to me through this song. And so it's called Sing Wherever I Go by We the Kingdom. <clears throat> and the, some of the lyrics are like this, all my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. And even that one line, I just had to kind of pause and think of that one line is, is my testimony. I'm over 60 years old and I can look back on my life of following Jesus from an early age, saying all my life, all, my, all I know is God's been good. He's been good to my soul. And the song goes on, the mountain high, valley low, and here I am in this low valley. I'm gonna sing wherever I go. God is for me, he's not against me. I will hold to the plans he has for me for when I'm broken, he will fix me. I will call on the name of the Lord. 
He's my heart song and my sorrow. He's my hope and my strength for tomorrow. And when the storms rise all around me, I will call on the name of the Lord because all my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. Mountain high or valley low, I'm going to sing wherever I go. And alone in my car with that song on repeat and the volume cranked up, I'm singing along that testimony of God's faithfulness. And I felt his touch, the power of his touch in that moment. And like he was taking me by the hand and he says, you're in a journey where you can't see where it's going, but we're on it together and I'm going to be with you. And with the exception of one blip in there, I had that peace right through the time of the surgery and even to this day, and we're still in some stages of uncertainty. Maybe you feel that you're in that place and you're in the dark and you're blind and you're confused and you're uncertain about where this is going, but you hear Jesus saying, come, take my hand, let's go for a walk. Today, that's a touch that you need. You need to be willing to put your hand in his more than the healing, more than a change in your circumstance, more than anything, you need his touch. Thankfully, we see the story of the blind man was willing to put his hand in Jesus' hand, willing to follow him through the streets of that town to the outskirts of that town and to be able to hear and, or receive the touch of Jesus. Touch point number two comes in verse 23. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So in the Jewish culture of this time, very similar to our present culture, when you spit in someone's face, it is not a good thing to do. And so don't try that after the service. Um, it is a sign of disgrace. And so we're not, we don't understand and we, why Jesus chose this method, but this isn't the only time that he used spit and healing, but it's the only time they'd actually spit right into somebody's face or into somebody's eyes. Um, some scholars suggest that in, the, in that era of time, there was a belief that human saliva actually worked as a healing agent for some eye issues, and maybe that's why Jesus was spitting in his face. Um, it becomes confusing to us, but it doesn't appear that it was overly upsetting or confusing to the person, to the blind man, because um, he was willing to accept that and acknowledge when Jesus responded, or Jesus asked him, do you see anything? He was willing to respond, well, yes, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And by his response, we kind of understand that he had probably had his sight for some portion of his life and had lost it somewhere along the line because he was able to recognize um, people and trees, but get them, he was getting them mixed up. And even later in this passage, it says that his sight was completely restored. It gives us the impression that at one point he had vision. This is the only recorded miracle that Jesus used a two-stage process for a complete healing. And so we're left with that question of, of why? Why wasn't it complete the first time? Why did this guy just kind of look around and go, yes, I can see, but not very good? It would be kind of like somebody walking into our atrium this morning and going, is that a, a weeping willow in the atrium? And no, that was actually Chris Biet. <laughs> Chris was here in first service. And, yeah. <clears throat> 
So when we look at this passage and we go, the healing is, is partial, but it's not complete. Um, maybe Jesus didn't use enough spit to get the job done. Maybe they didn't walk far enough away from the village where there was this kind of unrepentant, unbelieving stigma over it. Maybe the man's faith was too weak, and we start to question and challenge all these things, and in your story, you probably have your own questions that you're wondering, why am I in this place of limbo? Was Jesus too tired, and maybe after walking out there, he was just too low on healing energy? Did Jesus waste a touch? And as we think about that, the answer to those things is no. No. It's not about those things. Our assumption is, would be that it was none of the above. It was part of God's plan for this man, for this place of his journey of full recovery. God doesn't waste a touch. And I think I want you to hang on to that point. And I say that kind of reflecting to a different story of a woman who had an issue of blood, and she kind of, kind of snuck in the crowd and discreetly went up behind Jesus and, and touched him. With a, with a desire that she wanted to be made whole. And she reached out and touched him without Jesus knowing, but he knew. He knew and he immediately reacted and said, who touched me? Jesus doesn't waste a touch. Every touch of his is accounted for. Every touch of his has a purpose behind it. And so if you've been in this place of limbo, kind of going, something is different, but it's not complete, don't question it too much. Just keep your hand in his hand because he doesn't waste a touch. May I suggest, even though there's only one account in Scripture where Jesus used a, a two-part process for healing, that in our times we are living today, that this is probably a lot more normal when it comes to Jesus' response in our lives and Jesus' touch in our lives, that it comes in a process. And one example would be um, addictions for as an example here, when I see this happening. There are a few people that I know that have a very powerful testimony. They said at the point they committed their life to Christ, he, Jesus instantly released them and he broke that power of addiction and they never looked back. Those are powerful stories and I love hearing them. But for every one of those stories, I could probably tell you a hundred stories of people in recovery who are struggling through recovery, trusting God for the journey. They put their hand in his hand, but recovery is a daily struggle, and they are moving forward and they are getting better, but it's, it didn't happen all in one quick touch of Jesus. It's happened over a process, and at times it feels like somebody's spitting in their face, and at times it feels confused and awkward, but they're moving forward, and they will sing as we sang before, you know, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean, and they are receiving that as part of their healing journey, but it's coming not all at once. They're in an incomplete state moving forward, and at some points in time, there's this another touch and another touch that brings about complete healing. And sometimes that in-between state can linger for a while, and I want you to know if you're in that lingering place this morning, you're okay. Just hang on to his hand. He's going to lead you through to another touch point. That incomplete state can 
come in other areas than just physical issues. It might be a physical challenge you're dealing with. It might be the illness. It might be a tough family situation where you don't know how to support loved ones who are struggling, whether it's with the addiction stuff or with other things, and they're walking away from God. Hang on. Maybe your marriage just fell apart or your significant relationship has been severed. And hang in there. You're in this in-between state of limbo. And let me just say some things. In those places that we find ourselves, God is still at work. He doesn't waste a touch. He did not miscalculate what you needed and left you kind of on your own. You are not abandoned. Put your hand in his because he's not done yet. There's another touch coming that's part of his plan. After that July 28th appointment and knowing I was gonna have open heart surgery, wasn't too long after that I received a date, I think it was September 13th, and, and that date got bumped to September 16th and I spent three nights in ICU and four nights on the ward in Edmonton. Um, I think it was the second night when I was on the ward and after that kind of a surgery, you are very, very much in a helpless state can't even get out of bed on your own, can't go to the washroom by yourself. You can't. And for a, a man who likes to be independent, that's a pretty tough place to be. So there I was, lying in bed, awake, in the middle of the night, can hear my noises from my roommate as he's sleeping, and can hear noises in the hallway. And the darkness just seemed to settle in over me during that time, feeling that sense of being really weak, because I was, feeling very helpless, because I was, wondering is it ever going to get better and just the darkness of the moment settling in feeling very alone in despair and again I put my headphones on and put some music on and another song came on and as you gather God speaks to me through music very clearly and this was a torn well song called joy comes in the morning and if you can identify with being in that place of limbo this song might speak to you even as I just read some of the lyrics Everything happens for a reason, but you don't know what you don't know. And you'll never have peace if you don't let go of tomorrow. And um, brought me back to another point, and when I said I felt God's peace carry me through this except for, for one blip, and this was, this was the blip. We got an email from Alberta Health Services once we had the surgery date and once we were all planning and prepping for that. It was just a week or not much more than a week before surgery, um, I got an email from Alberta Health Services that due to operating room closures, your surgery has postponed. We will let you know when new dates become available. And to me, reading that was like the world crashed in on me for a few minutes or a few hours or actually a day or so. Of the uncertainty again of being left out of being just canceled and hearing the specialist, the cardiologist say, you know, this is, you're in a life-threatening situation here. We need to get you into the surgery as soon as we can. And then all of a sudden to be told, we'll let you know when new dates become available. There I was in this place of uncertainty again, and I had to refocus and recenter and put my hand back in his hand and say, God, we're in this together. And I worked through that. And then listening to this song, a couple of few days after surgery in recovery and um, knowing that when I was in surgery 
they found not only repaired the valve, but just above the valve, there was an aneurysm that was in, my, in that main artery that they said was about ready to burst, and they repaired it too. And then I'm thinking, Jesus, is that why it was delayed? It was only delayed three days. Is that why it was delayed? Because if, it, if I'd gone in there on my actual date, that, that aneurysm might not have been, however, whatever, enough that they would have caught it and seen it. And it would have happened after the fact. And I come back to the words of the song, everything happens for a reason because you don't know what you don't know. God had a plan even in my darkest moments of feeling like, will this ever happen? Will I make it to surgery? God had a plan even in the delay. That song goes on to say, because it ain't even faith until your plan falls apart, but you still choose to follow. If it doesn't make sense right now, it will when it's over. There'll be joy in the morning. There'll be joy in the morning, because grace will be there when you come to the end of your rope and you let go. It may feel like you're going down now, but your story isn't over. When we're in this place of limbo, and uncertainty and confusion. And if your hand is in his hand, your story isn't over yet. There'll be joy in the morning. There'll be joy in the morning. And this is the line that I've carried. If it's not good, then he's not done. No, he's not done with it yet. If it's not good, if what you see out there is trees that look like people walking, um, or people that look like trees walking, if, if it's in that state of confusion and limbo, then all you need to know is he's not done yet. He's not done yet. We're still on the journey. God used that song to settle my anxious heart. And in that song, of course, is Psalm 35. May, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And in the darkness of that night, it just got a whole uprighter for me as God quieted my anxious heart and settle that, knowing that another touch is coming. Touch number three in this passage in Mark chapter 8, verse 25 says, once more, so this is after the guy's report saying, yeah, I, I, I can see, but not very good. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Some of you have experienced this kind of a touch the transformation, whether it's a physical healing or restoration of relationships, you've experienced this kind of touch, and it's a very good place to be. I have at some levels, but when I'm talking about the story of my heart situation, I'm still not there. There are some complications that are causing um, shortness of breath and low energy that they need to figure out how to deal with, and so I'm still in that anticipating another touch coming. But if you've been in this place and you've experienced his touch, that's a good place to be. <clears throat> I want to close by jumping into this second passage that was part of the text that I've been asked to share from this morning. And again, Mark chapter 8, picking up at verse 27. And where we visited here, in order for this blind man to put his hand in Jesus' hand and say, yeah, you can lead me through this village and out. You can spit in my face. I trust you with all of these things. He had to see Jesus as being someone more than what the people in his community saw him. 
He had to have a higher confession. And so Jesus uses that, I believe, to segue into a conversation with his disciples here in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, as they're walking along, he brought up this conversation. Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus centered it. He said, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. The power of Peter's confession is what Jesus is looking for from us. If we're going to make it through these times of being in limbo or times of being blind and having Jesus take us by the hand, wherever you see yourself in that first story, we need to come to this place and recognize a higher level of confession that we might need than what our culture would emulate. For example, in our culture today, if we were to say, if Jesus was to come and say, who do people say that I am? Well, a lot of people say you're a great religious leader. You're the one that started this model that is currently in a lot of the leadership books called servant leadership. You're a great leader. You're a good teacher. You're a moral person. You stand up for social justice issues. You give a voice to the marginalized. And if he was here amongst us today, you would probably expect him to be a social media influencer and be on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and have a large following. And and these responses and these answers, they're politically correct. They're safe. Nobody's going to come against you for saying those things. And they're true. Jesus was all of those things or is all of those things. But those confessions saying those things won't get us to heaven. We need a bigger picture of Jesus. We need a stronger confession of who he is to get to heaven. And I want to even say to get through those periods of limbo when it feels like your world is falling apart and you're left in the dark and you're blind physically or otherwise. You need a stronger confession. You need to take what Peter said and You are the Messiah, or you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are my Savior. You are the way, the truth, and the life. When we have that confession, then we can take a higher road and a higher picture, but that confession is not always politically correct. That confession might cause you some tensions in your relationships or in your workplace, but that's the confession that you need to put your hand in His hand to let Him lead you through the maze of life, where you can feel that you're safe and you're protected. Are you longing for a touch today that transforms? Start with the confession that says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are my Lord and my Savior, and I put my hand in your hand through the uncertainties of life. Do you need that kind of a touch from Jesus if you're in that place of limbo, as always? When we conclude this morning, there'll be an opportunity for you to come forward and have someone pray with you and pray for you. And I encourage you and invite you to do that. If you find yourself in some of those places where you need a touch, where you long for a touch, come and get that from Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us another story in this Gospel of Mark. 
a remarkable story of your touch on a person's life. And Lord, we recognize our own journey, and and we might need multiple touches from you to get us through the things that we're dealing with. And I pray for each person here today that is stuck in limbo or is still sitting blind waiting for somebody to come. Would you come today and let us take your hand, and would you touch us where we need to be touched, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to come out and be part of our worship this morning. And as we close, just take these words with you. And I'm going to just remind you of the words from that Tornwell song. If it's not good, then he's not done. He's not done with it yet. Because there will be joy in the morning. And then Isaiah 41:13 that I referred to earlier. I am the Lord your God. I am holding your hand. So don't be afraid. I am here to help you. As you go through the week, whatever the circumstances that come your way, whatever it is you're in the middle of right now, would you be reminded and would you be restored and renewed by his touch this week? You may be dismissed.